Welcome to episode 14 of the Arcade Podcast. This is the second of two live, or sort of live, episodes I'm recording at the 32nd National Conference on the Beginning Design Student, hosted here in San Luis Obispo, California, by Cal Poly, San Luis Obispo. So this episode, like yesterday's, is just a little smorgasbord of some of the conversations I've been having with delegates and speakers at this year's conference. Uh, my name is Mark Lixon and I teach at the University of Queensland, Brisbane. And uh, I immediately uh, gravitated to you on the first day to talk about jet lag and the mechanics of coming to this conference. So halfway through the second day now in this beautiful, beautiful sunlight, sitting out in the quad having some lunch. You'll be leaving us soon because you need to head home and start the new semester uh, tomorrow or yesterday, whatever time difference it is across the dateline. What, what will you be taking away from the NCBDS this year? What has really stuck with you? Um, I think the, the was very... Um not as optimistic before I came because of the, the time constraints, but it's been uh, it's the right scale of, of conference and there's a lot of uh, like-minded people. There's, the one disappointment I've had is that there's um, not as much information about the um, early um, studios, but there's been a, a lot of discussion about design build, which is kind of my shtick, and a lot of kind of interesting tactics and being able to compare... Uh, quite a number of um, different studio types, which is, is kind of difficult to get because it, there isn't that much published still, but it is becoming a bit more um, uh, prevalent, and conferences like this, I think, help. Yeah, I understand when you say that there are some things that aren't present, but I think it's wonderful about this conference that there are some years there are different you know, themes, different things emerge, and mm. they become evidently quite uh, important to the conference and the dialogue. Can you talk just briefly about what you were speaking about when you gave your paper yesterday and how you see that now in the light of the conference? Uh, my, my point was that we need to keep focusing on the student learning when we do design build and, and not fetishise the building so much. Um, I, I kind of was, my focus was looking at trying to identify the two types of design build, which I guess is community or live build versus uh, inquiry through making. And I think there's a blurring between design build and and the different modalities and and the value that they bring to teaching. But it's been interesting to sort of see um, the different approaches and so on. And in some ways it's consolidated my thinking around that differentiation of the building types and how to more, I guess, strategically target um, the, the different types of design build to different learning outcomes and, um, importantly, how to actually focus that into the first year studio. Uh, so my name is Farzana Gandhi. I teach at the New York Institute of Technology in New York. And is this your first NCBDS? Yes, this is my first, yes. And you spoke yesterday. Can you tell us a little bit about what your paper was about? Sure. Uh, My paper is entitled uh, The One-to-One from Day One and Multidisciplinary Hats. And it's a a model for social impact design education at the beginning design level. 
um, that really focuses on um, the complex problems that we're dealing with in real world situations, you know, um, where you might be dealing with um, a community that's been economically distressed, let's say. And so what are the different disciplines that need to engage your work? You know, you might need to act as an economist or a sociologist for the day. Um, and so, and then sort of bringing that one-to-one of both architecture, but also its multidisciplinary equivalents from day one into the into the project. And presumably, you were using some case studies or some work that you've done. Yeah. Is that in New York or elsewhere? This is this is well the the the. the course is taught in New York, um, and I've taught it a number of times. I founded the course. Um, called, it's called Social Impact Design. And uh, I've engaged students in a number of projects, from everything from creating a disaster relief uh, kit of part um, sort of product that we've patented recently. Um, but the one that I presented at the conference was a small uh, pavilion we designed for a economically distressed community in San Juan in Puerto Rico. And what have you seen at the conference that has perhaps struck a chord with you or rung any bells in relation to your own work? Yeah, I think um, the conference has actually been great because the the you know each presenter has presented let's say a case study, but it's um, it's inspired a larger conversation that deals with how architectural pedagogy might need to change or transform to incorporate the service learning component and how that deals with the one-to-one in uh, design education. So I find that really inspiring. I've met quite a, quite a bit of people that I uh, keep I would intend to keep in touch with. So. Because then I seem to have found papers where they've talked about one-to-one as a pedagogical thing. So right. we're talking about student, one student, one tutor, that sort of thing. Right. But then also many student, uh, many papers uh, where the, the conversation has been about making it one-to-one right. and we're, we're sitting next to some chairs that have been made at one-to-one and then over there there's a small building at one-to-one and I imagine your work is doing both that it's pedagogically one-to-one and it's also physically one-to-one yes and actually also a third which is one-to-one with the community or the end user um, and so that's where the multidisciplinary component, I think, even um, further enriches the project because the students have to do cultural ethnographic research for a community that they're not aware of. Right? They're not, they haven't been to San Juan yet, so they have to actually do community surveys through uh, Facebook and, and you know, video conferencing, for example, or do feedback sessions um, with the end users remotely. Um, eventually, they do go back and build a project there. I'm uh, Ken Zamora. I'm from Fresno City College in Fresno, California. And you were not speaking at the conference. You are just an intellectual tourist listening to other ideas. Um, What have you enjoyed the most about the conference? Uh, I've really enjoyed seeing um, the diversity in in, uh, the work from all over the country. Um, I teach community college, and so it's a two-year program that feeds into some of these programs here, uh, mainly California. Um, but I really love seeing what's happening in the first couple of years all across the uh, all across the nation. Do you think you're going to borrow, steal any ideas and bring them into your own curriculum? Uh, borrow and steal, yeah, probably. Uh, there were some very good um, presentations regarding types of projects, um, and uh, uh, and uh, I already have some ideas about how those could be utilized and maybe uh, adapted to our program and what we're doing. Now, most of the people who listen to the podcast that I make are not familiar with the American system of education because the community college sector plays a slightly different role to the universities in that sense. So how would you say your program differs from how you might choose to study architecture or design in, a, in, in another university? I imagine it's 
led very much from the point of view of the, the crafting of the discipline and the making. Yes, um, in California, the community colleges are charged with a, a couple of things. One of them is, uh, of course, transfer to the uh, to the university, but the other is um, vocational. So it's preparation uh, for entry into the job market, and so we have uh, kind of dual hats. And our problem is trying to uh, develop a program with the minimum resources we have in terms of faculty and uh, and uh, just funding, um, and trying to cover both areas adequately. The education for architects in, in California is somewhat unique in that um, there are 10 schools of architecture, and out of those 10, uh, two are under the University of California umbrella, and that's the uh, University of California, Los Angeles, UCLA, and UC Berkeley. And then two uh, of the CSU, or the California State Universities, uh, offer architecture, and that is Cal Poly San Luis Obispo and Cal Poly Pomona. The other six are all private, uh, for-profit uh, institutions that are accredited by our National Accreditation Board. Um, and so our students actually have a little bit of a um, uh, choice in terms of whether they want to stay in the public sector or private. Um, and uh, the only problem right now that we're having really is one of the more uh, uh, desirable schools, schools is Cal Poly San Luis Obispo. And so they are very impacted, and it's tough to get students in um, into there, or transfer students into there. So it's a, it's a large pool and a um, and few slots to fit into. My name is Rennie Tang. I'm assistant professor at Cal Poly Pomona in the Landscape Architecture Department. Uh, and I'm Robert Alexander, assistant professor in the Architecture Department at Cal Poly Pomona. And to clarify, Cal Poly Pomona is not Cal Poly San Luis Obispo, but you're from the same, not even the same university, but you're in the same sector. Is that correct? Is that the right yeah, way? Of we're part of the CSU system, Cal State University system, so um, we're the we're this the off-branch, I guess, of Cal Poly that started later. Um, our school was established a little bit after this one was at Cal Poly. And yesterday you were slightly uh, political about describing where Pomona is. It's sort of on the, um, shall we say, the fringe of the Los Angeles metropolitan area. Is that correct? Yes, yeah, the edge, 26 miles, is it? About 26 miles from the downtown area. Okay. So obviously... San Luis Obispo has nothing to nothing to appeal to you. Not the mountains, not the beautiful <laughs> coastline. No, it's beautiful here. My my wife actually went. Uh, it was an undergrad here, so I, we still have a lot of connections um, with San Luis Obispo. At, at this current moment in time, I don't think I'm going home. I think I'll, <laughs> I'm just going to stay here. Tell me about um, what you both saw at the conference. Was there one paper or one particular session or theme that emerged that was? interesting to you? Well, I, I mean, I, I like this conference because it's very relevant to what I teach as a first-year um, coordinator, design foundations coordinator. So I'm, I'm usually, I basically have my notebook of ideas every time I hear a good teaching tip. So um, I guess one talk or set of talks, a uh, session that I was in, they were um, talking about the importance of getting students to formulate their question instead of um, design professors prescribing things. I think we maybe we do a little bit too much of prescribing. And um, this, this talk happened to be uh, industrial designers, actually. I think maybe we can learn something from them where they, um, instead of telling the, their students to, you know, design a stool, 
they um, set up different parameters to make the students want to design or come up with the idea of designing a stool and then the, the whole project becomes more student motivated. So I thought I, it's just something I want to maybe think about and maybe there's a way to apply it to my own studios. It's true, it is the National Conference of the Beginning Design Student, although it is you know, dominated by architects just because of the establishment and the foundation and the current constituency. Um, but it is, as you say, very interesting when other disciplines talk about their work because product design, industrial design have a lot in common. We were in a, uh, I was moderating at a panel with uh, somebody who was a painter and she was teaching her art students for, uh, for beginning architecture. And I thought it was amazing to see an outside perspective on things that are canonical to our education that we sort of take for granted being seen through an art art uh, art perspective was amazing anyway and actually yours was your talk was uh, I was gonna I wanted to comment during the panel about your talk um, despite the fact that you emphasize maybe some differences in our in, in our architecture colleges I saw actually much more commonalities than I would ever think that would be uh, happening which was crazy like the diversity like our school is as diverse as your as you described, which can't be said for probably a lot of the people that were in the room with us, which was amazing, um, and also just like the the team the team teaching aspect, anonymity on the papers that kind of blended the first year experience together. We do a lot of similar things, which I was cheered by. I thought that was awesome. Thank you. That's kind. My wife is American, and she recruits international students to British University. Um, and so I travel to America a lot. And I, I look at every time I go to a city, I try and go and visit the architecture school. Um, and there's a lot that I can learn by coming to this conference. There really is a lot. And I think that the, the level of debate here is consistently very high. There's a lot of papers reporting projects, you know, we did this, here's what the students thought. Um, but what is always interesting about those papers is there are much more um, rigorous and established structures for recording student course evaluation here my students don't fill in such detailed information. And I know you probably hate <laughs> dealing with course evaluations, but a lot of the papers I saw at this conference presented really interesting qualitative and quantitative data about what students thought about these initiatives. So you can come to this conference and see a paper where someone says, this is the project we did, and here's what the students thought of it. And they rated it 98%. They were, they were brave. <laughs> well, the ones who did it. The ones who didn't do it, we understand why. So, Robert, you talked about a project you did yesterday, you talked about this, um, on the campus of Cal Poly in Pomona, um, trying to address the really heinously unfriendly cycling infrastructure there. Um, and it was a kind of a build project, but it was also kind of a political project, kind of chipping away at a fairly unsympathetic institution, would you say. But having brought it to the conference, having spoken about it here, were there any design-build projects or other projects that you kind of saw similarities with that maybe will inform the way you do similar projects in the future? The panel I just moderated uh, was interesting in that uh, somebody presented ice structures that they had, and it was purely it had purely come out of the fact that they had available these sort of sub-zero winters to as a laboratory to operate in, um, and I thought that was interesting that you could um, take somebody's you could you could really make a mark by having your particular climate kind of dictate uh, exercises um, that's something that I think I'd take back to school for sure I've often been jealous to the point of being quite unpleasant about some schools in America who have lots of space for design build and beautiful weather 
and you know they, they, they can be building outdoors all you know all summer long so it is it, it is interesting to see that within the US there are different schools in different contexts and different climates that's why I like your paper because it was it felt like a very having just come from Los Angeles where I spent a few days I think the way you were working was not so much related to the climate, but it was related to that context, which I think is important. Thank you. And, and Rennie actually also does a project with her students that takes on our campus, our, the weirdnesses of our campus, in a similar way. We have a lot of overlap in that way, so she should describe her project as well. Well, I mean, maybe before describing my project, uh, a panel that was that was interesting and related to this topic was um, there was one talk that was about the more ethical implications of doing design build because it actually produces an immense amount of waste and she was talking about what about the aftermath of projects like nobody ever talks about that we all we see the beautiful photos of the the projects and then then next the next talk was actually someone who was extremely prolific about design build and it was project after project extensive materials so there was actually an interesting exchange about um, the, do we just do it? Do we do we not worry about waste because that's important for learning is making, or um, do we somehow include the uh, that aftermath as part of the process? So actually, the the project I am doing on campus is is fairly simple in terms of material. It's just two by two wood, and it's an abstract installation um, next to the, uh, the environmental design building. But because I've had so many problems with university administration um, calling me at the end of my studio asking me when I'm going to take it down, I've uh, learned to actually deal with the aftermath part. So built into the studio is destruction. And um, this, at the end of the studio, the students have to turn, take all of the wood down very carefully and turn them into wood frames, square wood frames, whatever size works. So that was my way of dealing with the, both waste and university administration. Uh, I'm Zeke Leonard. I work for Syracuse University in Syracuse, New York, and I teach in the School of Design. I'm the first-year coordinator for the design first-year experience. Are you interested in the student experience as something tangible, relevant to the course? Yeah, for us, uh, the student experience is a four-year arc, and the first-year experience is uh, the first quarter of that arc, but we really do think about it as being integral right the way across all four years. So we, we on purpose, call it the first-year experience because we think about it as a, as a holistic event in the life of the students. And the, is it, are these architecture students or are they majoring, is, in, a, majoring in design? Right. So this is, uh, we have four majors. We have uh, fashion design, communication design, environmental interior design, and industrial and interaction design. So we're separate from the School of Architecture. And my perception is that although this conference is the beginning design student, it is dominated by architects, talking about all interior architects, talking about architectural problems. Um, do you perceive that as well, or is there a, enough crossover for your discipline? It, f- it feels very architecture-heavy to me, um, and especially because a lot of my students are thinking on the smaller end of the scale, scale you know, the, the scale continuum. I, that's, it, it's been my experience that there are, it's a, more about spaces than about objects, which is okay, but it has shifted that way, I think. And what did you speak about at the conference today? What was your paper on? Uh, my paper is on uh, socially engaged design as pedagogy, so working uh, social engagement, social responsibility into actually into the curriculum that we teach. Um, 
which we're doing right now at the senior level, but we're working on ways to migrate that through all four years. And was there any other paper or session that really caught your attention? We spoke earlier and you seemed quite enthusiastic about what had been happening at the conference. Yeah, actually there was. Um, but I'm going to have to look it up because I don't remember it off the top of my head. Um, I've, I've really enjoyed a lot of the papers that I've heard. Um, but there was a gentleman who spoke. Sorry, I should have done my homework and gotten this. This is the, for, the, for the benefit of the listener at home. We have this handy sort of paper conference program. This is the first time I've been where we have the entire proceedings on USB stick, which is entirely sensible when you're traveling home with hand luggage and to be endorsed. I am going to miss having a big paperback book, which I can read later. However, it does make a lot more sense for, for it to be organized this way. And I would actually be an advocate for... I do look forward to reading the papers, but I would love to be able to hear some of the conference sessions that I couldn't go to. So maybe by recording it or videoing it later, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and then having a website. I mean, even if if there was the digital program and you could click and you could sit and listen to... Now, we need to tell this to the Salt Lake City crew. Yeah. Yeah, We need to give them a beer later and say, (laughs) we've got a great idea that will not add anything to your workload. And who was the... Uh, So Matthew Hall... Auburn University. From Auburn University, um, which I'm a fan of anyway because of Rural Studio and all of that. But um, he was a very engaging speaker, A. But also he was a really, uh, what he had to say about the way that they think about teaching uh, first-year students but also other students was really, uh, was really compelling. It was just a really compelling delivery and subject matter as well and will we see you next year in utah i i certainly hope so i hope to bring i want to bring a big syracuse contingent because i want to bring we have a we have a fantastic uh interaction design faculty member and i want her to come and talk and we have some great product design people so yes we'll be in force i'm aaron Carraher from the school of architecture at the university of utah and you are also a chair of ncbds 33 which will be at the university of utah in Salt Lake City a year from now? Yes, absolutely. And what will be the theme of the next conference in this series? The theme for the next conference, the title of it is uh, Begin With Why, Values and Ethics in the Beginning of Design. So we're really going to be looking at, in addition to the skills and techniques that one needs to learn at the beginning of their design education, really what are the, the moral and ethical foundations that we always assume are taking place in an education but never maybe explicitly talk about it as much as we should so things like how do you design for a resilient community how do you approach diversity how do you build empathy in students and do you think this is a response in a way to the the failure of our professional bodies because i know that the the naab does talk about the ethics and the responsibility of the professional but and it's the same in the uk the riba and the arb criteria do the same Do you think we're not very good at talking about what the ethical responsibility of the designer is and the professional? I think we're very good at talking about it in terms of its legal sense, you know, that that when you become a licensed architect in the United States, you take on an obligation to the public health, safety, and welfare, and I think that that's very clear to everybody who is an architect. I think what's less clear are the maybe softer skills of that, right? So empathy, how do you really make sure that students understand that they're designing for other people and how they can put themselves in the shoes of those other people and create a more robust response because they are using their skills to interpret the needs of people that are not themselves rather than projecting their own vision onto somebody else. 
And so in a, you're going to be speaking tonight, the very last night of the conference, and trailing it and telling us about next year. But you also gave a paper and you've been listening as a delegate. So what, what have been the memorable moments of the conference for you just as a delegate? The conference, this is one of my favorite conferences every year regardless because it has a... There's a community here of people who really care about talking about teaching and who all really value talking about the beginning of teaching, so maybe not always the most complex designs or the most complex programs. I think one of the things that was so wonderful this time around, and maybe I was more conscious of it because it was the topic that I was talking about as well, was that there are so many people here who are not shying away from the big questions and the big the big projects, and they're thinking about how even from the very first day of class, students can take on ownership, feel like their work has value, and start to think about what the impact of it is. Um, it's not paper exercises. It's not just staying within the walls of the studio. It's going out into the community. It's it's taking a stance on things. It's responding to real-world issues. So there seems to be more and more of that going on in many different ways at many different scales, and that's really exciting to see. I think what, one of the thing I th- things that I think is great about NCBDS is that it doesn't really have a committee or a structure or an organization. As of today, the baton has been handed on. It's true. And you're now running the next one. And then at the end of your conference, it'll be handed on to, insert name of winning conference host here. But I think I know I think I know it is, but I'm not going to say it. I'm going to wait for the official sure. announcement. And I'm very excited. Okay, yes. Uh, I'm, it's a city I've not been before, and I look forward to going. Yeah, me too. Um, and I think that's really it's exciting to know that you as someone who's come year after year and has been really excited by it you're now taking that on so I look forward to it so it'll be do you know the exact dates it'll be February late February March probably March 2017 Um, date to be determined we have to coordinate around a few different spring break schedules but yes um, and and just to be very clear I think one of the exciting things about our conference is that I am one of many people that are organizing it so there are people from architecture, from design, from urban ecology, from university studies, from the Marriott Library, which is our fine arts and architecture librarian. So it's a really diverse team of people that are all coming together to look at this question um, using the, the platform of values and ethics to cut across all of those different traditionally siloed disciplines. It sounds great. I can't wait. And I'll talk to you again in a year's time. Absolutely. When you may be a little bit more stressed, but I'll maybe leave it to the end of the conference Yeah. Best of luck. Thank you so much. Thank you. That was Aaron Carraher, and indeed the next instalment of the NCBDS will be at Salt Lake City and the University of Utah in late February or early March 2017. At the end of the conference, the host of the 2018 event was also announced. It'll be at the University of Cincinnati in Ohio around about the same time in 2018. So that's the end of these two special editions from NCBDS 32 in San Luis Obispo. It is early on Sunday morning, 28th of February, and it's time for me to pack up and head home. I've really enjoyed my time here. Um, That might have something to do with the conference, but it might also have something to do with the astonishingly beautiful scenery of the central California coast. I encourage you to take some time, if you haven't already, to drive the coast uh, of California. If you can't do the whole trip from San Francisco to Los Angeles along Highway 1, do try and make San Luis Obispo a base for some explorations. I have a few hours left. Um, I have rented a road bike and I'm off to go and explore some of the mountain roads around here before I have to head back to LAX and fly home. So thank you very, very much for listening to these two episodes of the podcast and thank you to all my guests for talking to me. I'd like to extend a really, really sincere message of thanks and admiration to the co-chairs 
of NCBDS32, Claire Olson, Jeff Ponitz, and Carmen Trudell. They did a fantastic job, and it was an amazing conference hosted over two sites over two and a half days, and I've enjoyed every minute of it. Thanks so much for listening to the podcast, especially if you are a new listener. Please remember to subscribe. You can do that in iTunes or by going to the website, arcadepodcast.com. There are more episodes on the way, and I look forward to talking to you again soon.